So we are in our Advent Christmas series, and that word Advent simply means appearing, and that's really what we're doing. We are focusing on the appearing of the Son of God. Christmas is not simply about the birth of a child. It's the Christ child who came into this world to save sinners like me and like you. I love our new tradition of the Advent table over here. And just a reminder, uh, we have lit these candles very intentionally, focusing on the different aspects of Christ appearing. The fact that we have hope in Jesus. The fact that we have peace with God, peace within through Jesus. And today, we celebrate the joy that we have through Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a day coming up very soon where our younger families in particular, you're going to have a lot of joy on your hands to deal with on that Christmas morning. Uh, I don't know if you're like my family was growing up where you kind of torture your kids or grandkids a little bit and you make them line up outside the door. Uh, Our family used to do all kinds of weird things like line up by height. No, no, no. Line up according to the alphabet. No, no, no. Line up according to your age. And they were stalling, right? They were trying to get all the presents ready. Or maybe your kids wake you up. They jump on you at 5 a.m. like, it's Christmas. You know, they're excited. There's a lot of joy, and when they get to the presents, it's it's game on, right? And it's a very, very exciting time. Uh, Let's get real for a minute, though. What happens to that joy over time? Well, odds are, if it's anything like my house, that toy, that gift that your kids wanted just a few months later, sometimes it's out in the yard getting rained on, right? They kind of forget about it. They kind of move on. That joy has faded, and I promise I'm not knocking the joy of kids on Christmas. This dad is here for it, okay? I love it, and I'm very much looking forward to it as well. But as followers of Jesus, we have access to a far greater joy than any material, worldly possession, than anything this world can afford. We have far greater joy. If you haven't been with us over the last few weeks, we're walking through Luke's gospel. And we're looking at Luke's gospel account, specifically his account of the Christmas story. Uh, You might recall how the Lord broke his 400-year silence to his people. And the way he broke that silence was through an angel named Gabriel, who the Lord sent to an older couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And he let them know the front-runner of the Messiah is coming through you. Elizabeth, you're going to have a baby boy. His name's going to be John. He's going to prepare the way of the Lord. Last week, we, and really the last two weeks, we've been looking at how the angel Gabriel appeared to both Mary and Joseph, letting them know not only is the front runner here, but the Messiah is coming. Oh, and by the way, Mary, he's coming from your belly. Okay, you're going to give birth to the Son of God via a virgin birth. Today we're going to see this sweet moment between Mary and her aunt Elizabeth, which brings us to our key text for this morning. If you are able, would you mind standing with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39, reads... 
In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. This was a very special and pivotal moment in history. For one, the Messiah was coming. The Messiah was very close to appearing into our world. But not just that. In this story, we witness something very special. Where the Holy Spirit interacts with these humans in a very supernatural way. And what I love about this is that story is really a foreshadowing of something that all believers who place their faith in that Christ child would experience. And by the way, Jesus isn't a baby anymore, right? He he grew to be a man, and he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. And if we will place our faith in Christ, then we too will experience the Spirit of God working in us. There's three parts to this story that we're going to look at this morning. The first part is what we're going to call the filling of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit. Look at verse 39 here. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. All right, so we know where Mary was going. She was going to her aunt and uncle's house. Most theologians believe that Mary was about 15 years old at this moment in her life. Very young. Her aunt, Elizabeth, is not, okay? According to Luke's account earlier in the book of Luke, we learned that both Zechariah and Elizabeth, husband and wife, were advanced in years, which is a nice way of saying they're older, okay? And not only are they older, but Elizabeth is pregnant. So Elizabeth is pregnant, Mary is pregnant. And when Mary hears this news, She hears that this older woman named Elizabeth, wait a second, that's my aunt's name. And she realizes, wait a second, my aunt can't have kids. How's this possible? So it says she gets up and goes with haste. She hightails it to Aunt Liz's house. And she gets to Elizabeth's house, and this takes place, verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. All moms who have carried children in their bodies have felt the kick of a baby. Uh, so my, my wife, Allison, I've, I've not felt it personally, but my wife, Allison, has carried children. And I, I love the part of the pregnancy where they're getting bigger, and you can see the imprint of their foot kind of scraping across the belly. You can literally see their feet. Uh, this is more than that. This is more than a kicking baby. The scriptures teach us that something supernatural was taking place right here. Look at verse 41 again. 
And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. If you recall, a few weeks ago, we learned that Zechariah was a priest, and he was chosen by God, by lot, to enter into the temple to burn incense as an offering to God. And when he did that, he he came to this golden altar that we learned about. And as he was offering this incense, he was just literally a few feet away from the actual presence of God. Because just behind this golden altar was the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place, the holy of holies, where God resided. And then you fast forward in the story. And now we're seeing the presence of God comes and fills Elizabeth. The presence of God. That's no small thing, church. And it's no small thing that the presence of God resides in us. Amen? And so the presence of God fills Elizabeth here. Church, may we be encouraged. The filling of the Spirit of God is still taking place in our day uh, today. And we're going to learn more about that here in just a moment. So that baby John that was inside of Elizabeth's belly, John grows to be a man named John the Baptist. And he teaches us about something with the Spirit. He teaches us about something called the baptism of the Spirit. Look at Matthew 3 verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. All right, so if you're a Christian, this has happened in your life. Maybe when you gave your heart and your life to Jesus, you remember that moment. And you don't remember seeing any fire, okay? But this is what happened with your soul. You were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that word baptized means to be immersed into. You were immersed into and with the Holy Spirit. And so this is a truth that's true for all Christians, that we've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. But the Bible doesn't stop there. And God did not stop there by simply sealing his children, and saying, I'll see you when you get to heaven, he gives us an opportunity to experience an extra portion of his presence through what's called the filling of the Spirit. And that's what Elizabeth experiences here. There's a pastor theologian by the name of John MacArthur, and he he does a good job of explaining the difference between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. In fact, check out this quote from John MacArthur. It says, You may be baptized into the body, indwelt by the Spirit, sealed by the Spirit unto the day of redemption. But you know something? You can live your life, your Christian life, in defeat if you don't know what it is to experience moment by moment being filled by the Spirit of God. So there's a distinct difference between being baptized by the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. So the baptism of the Spirit seals us. That's when we become children of God. But we also have an opportunity to experience the filling of God's Spirit. And what we see in Scripture is that this is an ongoing, continuous work that we can experience. 
in church, the reason we need this continual filling of the Spirit is because our spiritual buckets tend to leak, okay? We got some holes in our holy buckets, and we need the Spirit to continually fill us. Uh, The Apostle Paul, he was aware of this, and he teaches us about being filled with the Spirit. Look at Ephesians 5.18. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. All right, so at first glance, it sounds like Paul's really focusing in on alcohol here. And that is talked about a lot through Scripture, about not being drunk with wine and drunk with alcohol. It's actually not the focus of this text, though. This particular text, Paul's addressing something that was going on in his day. And what was going on was there were a lot of people that worshipped other little g-gods. And the way they would worship is they would get wasted. they get drunk. And then they go participate in vile practices in these pagan temples. And Paul is saying, no. Don't seek that source of power. Don't get drunk with wine like these pagan worshipers are doing. No, instead be filled with the Spirit. And I think it's important to note, he says it like a command. He says, be filled with the Spirit, implying, church, that there's a choice. We have a choice whether we will allow ourselves to be filled with the Spirit. Before we continue, maybe today there's a, a moment you can go back to in your life where you see I started following Christ on this day. I remember. I remember when I started following Jesus. Maybe you can't remember. That's okay. But you started following Jesus at this point, and you were sealed. You received the Spirit of God. But maybe as time has gone on, or maybe just even recently, you're noticing you're not really feeling the Lord working in your life. You're not really sensing his transforming power in your life. You're not really sensing his energizing to do things that you normally could not do. Maybe you've let your spiritual bucket get a little dry. Maybe you need to be filled with the Spirit. Very simply, church, and we'll learn more about this, we've got to deny ourselves. We've got to repent of our sins so that we can experience the kingdom of God. Jesus preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We've got to distance ourselves from the things that hinder the working of God in our lives. That's what Jesus teaches us. Which brings us to our second section, which we will call the blessing of the Spirit. The blessing of the Spirit. Let's look at Luke's gospel, chapter 1, verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? All right, so Elizabeth was blessed by the filling of the Spirit. And Mary was blessed by what the Spirit had done within her own womb. As Elizabeth says to Mary in verse 42, she says, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And the source of all of this blessing is none other than the Spirit of God. 
And church, what we see through the scriptures is that the Spirit of God continues to be a blessing for God's people even today. I want to show you one text from the Lord Jesus along these lines. Look at John chapter 14, verse 25. These things, Jesus talking, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So this is a moment where Jesus is teaching his disciples here. Just prior to this, he's told his disciples, hey guys, I've got to go. Uh, I've got to go away, but don't worry, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And then he tells them that he's going to send somebody. And he calls this somebody the helper, the Holy Spirit. In church, what does this helper do for us according to God's word right here in John's gospel, chapter 14? Well, look at that verse again, the latter part of verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. The Spirit of God is a blessing to the people of God. Amen, church? Isn't it so neat when you experience the things that Jesus just mentioned? Maybe one morning you're reading your Bible. And as you're reading your Bible... I know you've had this happen if you're a child of God. As you're reading your Bible, something just kind of becomes three-dimensional. It just kind of slaps you across the face. It's like, whoa, whoa, that jumped out at me today. I've read this passage a thousand times before, and I've never noticed that before. Do you think that's coincidence? I don't. I think that's the Spirit of God inside of us highlighting that text, saying, hey, pay attention You need this. Maybe something comes up in your life. A work problem. A family problem. A financial problem. And a verse pops into your mind. Maybe it's a text that you haven't thought of in years. Do you think that's an accident? I don't. I believe it's this scripture coming to fulfillment for God's people. That he will bring to your remembrance the things that he has taught us. And not only that, but the helper, the spirit helps us with peace. My peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. He helps us, church. He blesses us in our daily lives through his spirit. And you know what? That's true. The spirit of God is a blessing to the people of God, but we need to be cautious Because we can hinder the working of the Spirit in our lives. Here's how the Apostle Paul describes this to the church at Thessalonica. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 19, he said, Do not quench the Spirit. Some translations say do not extinguish the Spirit. Like a flame and you get a fire extinguisher and it's gone. You can quench the Spirit. You can quench his working in your life. You can extinguish it. Maybe one day you're washing your car out in your driveway, and it's going well. You're getting it clean, and all of a sudden you notice the hose goes to a dribble. 
what happened? Either you didn't pay the water bill or you look over and you see that the hose has a kink, right? So you walk over, you pick up the hose and you unkink the hose. And now the water is flowing again. And you know what? That's exactly what sin can do in the life of a believer. Sin hinders the flowing spirit of God in our lives. It hinders the power of God in our lives. And in order to experience the work of God in our lives, we have to remove, as the author of Hebrews says, let us cast aside every sin and weight which clings so closely. And it does. But as we repent of sin, as we cast it off of us, we position ourselves to experience the free-flowing power of God through the Spirit of God. And then we can experience the blessing of God through His Spirit. Which brings us lastly to what we will call the joy of the Spirit. The joy of the Spirit. Look at verse 44 in Luke chapter 1. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. All right, so when John, the baby in the womb, John the Baptist, when he hears the voice of Mary, the mother of the Messiah of the world, when he just hears her voice, he leaps, okay? Earlier it says that, he, that Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. That's true, but it wasn't just that. He was leaping for joy, as Elizabeth says here in verse 44. So John the Baptist leaps with joy. In church, this is exactly what the Spirit of God does for God's people today. We experience the joy of the Lord. And you'll notice throughout the Scriptures, and we'll look at this together, throughout the New Testament, it's peppered all throughout the New Testament. There's a direct connection between the filling of the Spirit and the joy of the Lord. You can't get here without this, okay? You need the filling of the Spirit to experience the joy of the Lord. Let's look at a few texts together. Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So church, as we turn from sin and we're filled with the Spirit, I love this, we're filled with joy. But there's a word before the word joy in that verse. You're filled with all joy. God doesn't give you some joy. He doesn't give you a lot of joy. He gives you all joy. He's not turning the faucet back. He's not turning the spigot back. He gives you all of his joy through the Spirit of God. Check this text out. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord... For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. This one stands out a little bit. Paul was reminding the church at Thessalonica, Hey, y'all remember church, there was a time when you heard me preaching. And there was a time when you received those truths, those messages. And how did they receive those truths? It says, well, with the joy of the Lord. Here's why this stands out. Because the church at Thessalonica was going through a really hard time. They were surrounded by a community, by a city that hated them. Hated them for their Christian faith. 
And so even though their businesses are very likely suffering and the dollars and cents are disappearing, even though their kids are getting made fun of in the community, even though they're likely being threatened when they go out and buy groceries, life was very hard. And even in the midst of those circumstances, they still had joy, a particular joy. They had the joy of the Holy Spirit. Here's one more I'll show you. Nehemiah 8, verse 10. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. That one is crocheted on a lot of pillows, right? It's a good one to remember. Maybe you've heard that verse, but maybe you haven't heard what led up to that verse. So this takes place in the book of Nehemiah. And God was preparing to call his people to return to him. He had made a covenant with them. Israel had been unfaithful in that covenant. And so the Lord commissions a priest named Ezra and a governor named Nehemiah to call his people back to him. And so the law of the Lord is read over God's people. And they hear the word of the Lord. And you know how they responded? They were weeping. They were weeping because they saw how sinful they were. To put that in the New Testament context, when Paul says in Romans, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We should be broken over that. We should be broken over the fact that we have sinned against a holy God, the holy God. And they felt it. They saw how woefully short they were of God's righteous requirements. And so they're literally weeping as they hear the law of the Lord read to them. But then God instructs Ezra and Nehemiah to tell his people, stop weeping. Stop the weeping. The brokenness over the sin was good. But what did God want his people to experience? He wanted his people to experience the joy of the Lord. Church, it's good for us to be broken over sin. It really, really is. We need to feel that. We need to feel the weight of our sin and how serious it is to sin against our holy God. But God does not want us to live in defeat. He wants us to be conquerors. He wants us to experience the joy of the Lord. And when you do, church, when we experience the joy of the Lord, it will be your strength. Just like it was for the church at Thessalonica. Despite hard circumstances, the joy of the Lord was their strength. Maybe today, if you're being really transparent, you're being really honest, you don't have a lot of joy in your life. Maybe it's because your hose is kinked. Maybe there's a blockage in your life. Maybe you have unconfessed, unrepented sin in your life. And the best thing that you can do this morning is to repent of that sin. Allow the Lord to move freely in your life. Maybe you're not feeling the joy of the Lord this morning because you're just feeling the weight of life. You're, you're feeling the weight of relationships that have gone wrong. You're feeling the weight of obligations. You're feeling the weight of work. You're feeling the weight of things just not being right in your life. You can be like those believers in Thessalonica. I promise you, 
They were not experiencing the joy of the Lord because their life was good. They were experiencing the joy of the Lord because God is good. And we still serve the same good God today. And you and I can experience the joy of the Lord. As we conclude, I want to encourage all of us to think about and consider, one, have I been baptized into the Holy Spirit? And that's a real question with eternal implications. Because if you've not surrendered your heart and your life to Jesus, can I get real with you? It's not going to be good. One day you will answer to the Lord. And you will hear one of two things. You will either hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come on in. Or you will hear, depart from me. I never knew you. If you've not experienced that baptism with the Spirit, please respond today. We say this with love, and we would love to celebrate with you. But maybe you are a child of God, but you haven't been really feeling the power of God at work in you. You haven't felt his joy. Let's fill up our buckets, okay? Let's be filled with the Holy Spirit. At this time, we're going to get ready to partake in the Lord's Supper together. So I'm going to ask our ushers to go ahead and get in place. The band, if you would come on up. The Lord's Supper is something that's very important for Christians to partake in together. We're actually commanded to do this frequently in the church. We try to do it every few weeks at least. So what is the Lord's Supper? It's a way of reminding ourselves of what Christ has done for us. Christmas is not just about a baby boy, a precious baby boy. It is. But that baby boy grew to be a man. And he lived a sinless life. And he shed his blood on the cross for you and for me to pay for all of our sins, all of the many ways that we've fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, we are instructed to remember what Christ has done for us. I want to read a text for you before we hand out the elements. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11. In verse 27, he says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Church, we're commanded to examine ourselves. So here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, these gentlemen, these brothers in Christ are going to hand out the elements. And as they hand out these elements, may we all, church, examine ourselves. Is there sin in your life hindering the work of the Lord in you? If so, repent. Turn from that and give the Lord praise. As they hand out the elements, a quick word of instruction. Uh, there are two cups stacked on top of each other. The bread is in the top cup. I'm sorry, the bread is in the bottom cup. The juice is in the top cup. And you'll need to split those two and we'll all partake together. So let's examine ourselves at this time.